Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. Uh, this morning I'm going to be sharing from Ezekiel uh, chapter 37, and it's the, uh, the Valley of Dry Bones. Ezekiel was a priest and he was a prophet. Specifically, God called him to be a watchman. You say, well, what's a watchman? And he describes it in his calling, Ezekiel 3, 7. So you, son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. So obviously a watchman was someone who served as a lookout. They would alert, alert others to the dangers that were approaching of course, Ezekiel is serving not in a, in a military fashion. He's serving in a spiritual capacity. So Ezekiel served as a watchman over the spiritual house of Israel. He's looking at where the people are, where they've been. Ezekiel had this unique perspective. He lived during the time of Josiah. If you remember, Josiah was a king who led Israel uh, into a revival. The nation was blessed. He saw Josiah die and Israel go right back into idolatry and false worship. So Ezekiel serves as a watchman. The people failed to heed his message, and in about 586 B.C., uh, God allows the Babylonian uh, Empire to invade uh, Judea and takes uh, Jerusalem. Uh, they, they lay siege to Jerusalem for two years. Finally, with their def defenses weakened, uh, the Babylonians take the city, destroy the city, and also uh, the temple of God, which Solomon built. As a result, uh, many of the Jews were deported from Jerusalem. And Ezekiel was among this number. He was one of the thousands of Jews who would leave their homeland in desolation and rubble and would never see it again. Uh, so Ezekiel died in Babylon. In fact, he's uh, buried in modern-day Iraq. So Psalms 137, if you've ever read Psalms 137, uh, it is a, a song, it's a lament that the Jews sang as in exile. As they're thinking back of their time in, uh, in, in uh, Jerusalem, and this is what it says in verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. Verse 2, we hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. Verse 3, for there, for there those who carried us away captive asked us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth. And that's basically cheerful or joyous. Saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Verse 4, shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So while the Jews wept by the river, their captors are mocking them. The Jews were known to be joyous people celebrating uh, the goodness of God. You know, every, every celebration they had, they would sing. There was, when they would go up to the temple for different times of different festivals, songs of ascent, as they are ascending Zion, they're singing these songs. So they were known to be a joyous people. And what they're doing is saying, hey, why don't you sing one of those songs now? Now that we've got you, now that we've captured you, now that we've, you've, we've taken you to Babylon, why don't you sing one of those songs you used to sing? And boy, isn't that just like the devil? That's how he operates. When you are down, he will kick you when you're down. And when Satan sees our vulnerability, it's an opportunity for him. And he'll exploit every opportunity. And sometimes we'll go through tragedy, we'll go through trials and difficulty. We think, well, you know, that's over. It's just begun, usually. It's just begun. That's what happened for the Jewish people. I'll give you an example Think about the hardships of Job. Uh, Job. Job loses his possessions, his wealth, his children, his health, all without warning, just suddenly. And after that's over, you think, well, that's the worst has passed. And really, it hasn't. Because in that suffering, in that trauma he's facing, his wife adds misery 
misery just heaps up misery. I'm saying this to Job, Job 2.9, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. What's she saying? Just give up. So even Job's closest friends uh, are no help. They're adding injury to insult as well. Wondering how, if Job was truly a righteous man, if he really was a man of faith and integrity, why would all this evil befall him? For, for everything to take place the way it did, Job had to sin. And Job responds with this confession of faith. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Church, and I would just say this, that sometimes you can read the book of Job and you can feel just so depressed and just drained when you read it. But may we exemplify that type of faith. When we go through trials and we go through tribulation, that we say, though, yet he slay me, yet I will trust him. So we can do this. How can we do this? Zechariah 4, 6 says this, not by might, nor by power, but why? By what? By my spirit, says the Lord. So the Holy Spirit is our helper during turbulent times. So when life really just knocks the wind out of us and takes the wind out of our sails, we need the wind of the Holy Spirit, the help from the helper to help us weather those storms. So Job was tested because he had faith and integrity. God said, hey, listen, have you consider, to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He knows Job is going to be a person who's going to endure a trial with integrity and faith. The Jewish people, on the other hand, are a different story. They're enduring this hardship simply because they rebelled against God, and God has finally just accommodated their choices. You can say, man, this is terrible. Why would God allow his people to be destroyed and carried away? And God just simply obliged their own choices. God didn't forsake the Jewish people. They forsook him. And so what God did is, I'm going to let you, I'm going to accommodate your decisions. So the Jewish people chose to turn away from God and embrace foreign gods and idolatry. And we could read their story, and we could be Monday, Monday morning quarterbacks. And we could say, I just can't believe how these people would act so foolish, how we, you know, we would be so tempted to, to look at them and say, you know, I, I would never do that. But we would be hypocritical in doing so because we, consider, we, we embrace many idols ourselves. So to give you an idea, uh, we can have idols in our own lives that, you know, they may be of money, they might be of career, they might be greed, self family, relationships, addictions, the list goes on and on and on. So many things can take the rightful place of God and become an idol. So hopefully that gives you kind of the sense or the context in which uh, this prophecy takes place. The Jewish people are not in a good place. They're in a very discouraged, downtrodden position. But along comes this prophet who has been telling them, hey, repent, repent, turn away from your idols, turn back to God. He's been warning them and then he himself also, if you don't know this about Ezekiel, he, yes, he's carried away. He loses his own wife during the siege of Jerusalem. She dies during that time. So he's a man who is suffering as well. So that gives you some idea of the, the context of this prophecy. So while in exile, Ezekiel receives this vision concerning the future of his people. So let's go ahead and read it. We're going to be in uh, Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Verse 4, Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. 
I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will become to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, come breathe from the four winds and breathe into the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded and breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them, and I will bring you back into the land of Israel. Then, my, then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. This vision, when you read it, has not yet been fulfilled. This, this is a vision that has not yet completely fulfilled. And some would argue, well, the Jews living in their homeland is proof of this. And I would say, no, that's not the case because the Jews living in their homeland today occupy a portion of the promised land. They're not occupying the full land. In fact, uh, the Arab and Gentile nations around them says, hey, why don't you give up some land for peace? And wisely they said, no, thank you. That's the land God's given us. We fought tooth and nail to get this back. You know, for two, over 2,000 years, we cease to exist, and suddenly we become a nation again. You think we're going to give up one square inch? No way. Secondly, I would point to this. There are two mosques that sit on the Temple Mount to this day, where the temple should be. This, this prophecy has not yet been fulfilled. In fact, this prophecy will be fulfilled one day when Jesus comes back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, sets up his millennial kingdom there in Jerusalem. So like many prophecies... Uh, when you read through the, the different prophecies throughout the Old Testament, they have an initial fulfillment, and they'll have a complete fulfillment. And this is one of those cases where it has a, a temporary or a first, it was initially fulfilled, and then it will have a, a full fulfillment later on. At the same time, you can say, well, what does that have to do with me here now? At the same time, prophecy also has a ministering purpose for us here and now. There's a message for us, obviously, within the prophecy. It's not like, well, it's just for them initially, and then somewhere down the line, ultimate fulfillment. No, there's a message to us within that, something that can be applied to our lives as well. So the prophecy of Ezekiel, again, partially fulfilled at best, I would say, when the Jews were released from their captivity and were, were allowed to go back to the promised land. So at the same time, prophecy has a ministering purpose. So what is that ministering purpose for us today? Let's look back at the first three verses, and uh, let's just kind of break this, break this down a little bit more. Uh, verses 1 through 3, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out, of the, out in the Spirit of the Lord. He sat me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were many in an open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I love when God asks us questions throughout his word. He knows the answer. 
So he looks and he sees these dry bones. And these dry bones, we obviously, as we read earlier, represent the people of Israel. People who have lost all hope. And they thought they had lost their homeland and they would be consigned forever to Gentile nations. This is what they truly believed. You know, God has finally just said, forget you. You know, I've, I've put up with you long enough. You know, decade after decade, I continue to cry out to you, and I send prophets, and I send warnings, and you have this history of going astray. So they felt, remember this, they had already spent time in Egypt as slaves, and God brought them into this land, and now they've failed. What, what, what else could God do? What, I mean, how much patience does he have with us? Brings us now out of our land because of our own disobedience, and consigns us in the nation of Babylon. All hope is lost. God's going to pick a new people. He is going to pick someone else. All hope was lost. Their plans and their purposes, they thought, were forever lost. So what do the dry bones of this vision represent in our lives? What promises do you have in your life that are are not yet fulfilled? Or what hopes have you forgotten about? Or what hopes have you abandoned? What purpose did God call you to fulfill that has gone unfulfilled? Church, can the dry bones live again? And we know that the answer is, the answer is yes. We make mistakes, we'll make poor decisions, and it'll often alter God's plans, but not his purpose. God will accomplish his purpose even when we take the long route. Even when we make mistakes, there's always a way to come back to God's plan and purpose for our lives. And if you don't believe that, look at the life of Samson. It's a great example of someone God had a call on a purpose for, makes all these terrible choices, but yet God fulfills his purpose at the end. There's always a way back. And you know what? It may not be the same opportunity that God presented to you in the beginning. Don't get blinders on. God called me to do this, this way, this, this, and when it was then. But I've made all these terrible choices or bad decisions, and you expect God to do the same thing. That's not, that's not the plan. The plan is altered. The purpose will be the same. Are you following me? So don't get blinders on your eyes when you're hearing me. Listen to what the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you today. God has a plan for you, a purpose for you, even though you may have done some things or made some decisions that have altered that plan, the outcome can still be the same. So with God we serve has a history of doing this as well. He has a history of resurrecting dead things. I mean, without the hope of the resurrection, why are we even here today? So when we look at this, this prophecy, we can see how God accomplishes uh, something that we are think are dead and gone in the grave and how God can raise it to life. So the resurrection of your body, which is harder for God to do? The resurrection of your body from the grave or for God to resurrect a hope, a plan, a purpose for you? Which is harder for him? God asked Ezekiel this question, can these bones live again? Ezekiel answers wisely, God, you know. I don't know a thing, you know. What is God saying in response? Verse 4, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath, and that word breath in the Hebrew is ruach, and it's the same thing, breath, air, uh, spirit, wind, and, he, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover your skin. I will put breath, same word, in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And I was, as I was prophesying, there was a noise, rattling sound. The bones came together, bone to bone. So Ezekiel tells, or God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones or speak to them the will of the Lord. 
Now, when we prophesy, we aren't telling the bones about their future. When we declare to the bones, whatever the bones represent in your life, we're telling these bones what God is saying. Are you following me? There's a, there's a big distinction between these two. This also gets confused, in our, in our, especially in our Pentecostal uh, way of, of doing church and, and Christian life. Verse 7 is the key. So I prophesied as I was commanded. I prophesied as I was commanded. Ezekiel doesn't have the power to make the dry bones live. Only God has that power. So God tells him, hey, you speak the bones, and God gives him the words, and he does as he's commanded. Ezekiel, again, himself cannot use his words to move God like a genie in a bottle. That's not the way it works either when you prophesy. Before we prophesy what we want, we need to make sure this. We're speaking in alignment with God's word and his will. Just because we speak something this, we can do this. We can take the Bible, speak it, okay, in a certain situation, in a, in a prophetic, we think it's prophetic, I'm speaking these things, but you know what? You also have to consider this, God's timing and God's will. Just because we're speaking something biblical doesn't mean it's right. Does that make sense? Okay, let me, let me clarify a little bit more. Here's a common mistake when it comes to declaring the word of God or his will in a certain situation give you a great example. This is a, a verse that is taken out of context. You, you'll hear it if you just listen to people pray sometimes. Romans 4, 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He's speaking to Abraham, or, or uh, Paul is speaking of Abraham. In the presence of him who he believed, God, look at that, that should stick out, God who gives life to dead, the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. How many times have you heard someone say, I call those things that are not as though they are? You have no power to do that. Only God has that power. Only God has that creative power. Who are you? You're flesh and blood. You do as you're commanded. But God has the power, not us. God only has creative power. Who is the one who calls things to life as though they aren't? We're not gods, okay? Only God has that power. In the context of this verse, if you'll read this verse, Paul, Paul is speaking about the faith and faith of Abraham and Sarah as the example. And God is the one who calls things that are not as though they are. And here's the example. Abraham and Sarah were promised a child. Now, Abraham didn't say, Sarah, I just want you to sit in that chair, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my hands on your belly, and I'm going to speak a baby into that belly. That's not what he did. And I don't mean to be grotesque, but in order to put a bun in the oven, something's got to happen. What happened was obedient action, God blessed. They followed God's command. They did as God said. Sarah is barren. She cannot have a child. Uh, Abraham doesn't have the power to speak life into her womb. Only God has the power to do that. So Abraham and Sarah did what married couples do to have a baby. And their actions came into alignment with God's word and his will. And that's when life came into that womb. There's a major misunderstanding in some segments of the body of Christ. I understand where they're coming from. I know it's so tempting. It encourages the peop speak people to speak things into existence, but only God has that power. If we, if we incorrectly discern God, God's will, and we think this is God and this is his will, we begin to speak things, aren't we speaking amiss? Aren't we asking amiss? Of course we are. I believe in healing. I'm sure every one of us believe in healing. I believe healing is God's will. And I emphatically will stand on that promise. It is God's will to heal us. I had, I had some major 
a disagreement with a person who served in, in our children's ministry over this issue. How can you say it's God's will to heal? Well, what do you mean by that? And what I mean is this. I just said simply he'll heal us here on earth, or if the rapture takes place, we'll be healed in the air on our way there, or when we get to heaven, we'll be healed. Guess what? It's God's will for us to be healed. Now, I said, what you're thinking is this. It's God's will for us to lay hands on people and heal them every time, and I never said that. But it is God's will to heal. So God doesn't always heal us how we think he ought to heal us. If that were the case, none of us would have, every, every, have any sickness, right? So God doesn't always heal us when we want him to and how he wants us to heal us. And it comes back to this, Isaiah 55, 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts uh, than your thoughts. And God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Again, don't allow your faith to contradict the will of God. And that often happens with immature believers. God is the one who calls things that are not as though they are. Now, we can come to agreement with that. I get that. I understand that. But understand at the core of this, this is, that belongs to God. That's his power. We prophesy at the leading of the Holy Spirit, and that still requires discernment. Because here's what can happen. You have to know the difference between thus saith the Lord and thus saith you. You have to know the difference. Because again, if it's thus saith you, it's you. And you can't expect God to, to be at your beck and call and do what you wish and desire. Because again, you just make him a genie in a bottle. So we prophesy in agreement with the written word, first and foremost, the written word. And then we also prophesy in agreement with the will of God. The, prof the, word, the word and the Spirit will always agree, church. Remember, that's why we, we prophesy with the will and the word of God. So Ezekiel saw a vision that he would never see come to pass. He, he does exactly what God calls him to do. Prophesy to these bones. These bones represent the people of Israel. But, you know, the prophecy will take place, but he never gets to see it. He never gets to see his people leave and go back to their homeland. He dies there. He's buried there. Sometimes when we're, we're called on, we believe we're speaking a word from God, sometimes you won't always see it come to pass in your lifetime, or maybe the way you thought it would. Ezekiel speaks to the dry bones. As commanded, the bones begin to rattle. They begin to gravitate towards each other, and there's Complete skeletons are formed, and all of a sudden, miraculously, tendons and ligaments and muscles. I mean, what, what an incredible vision. And these people are fully formed, but what are they missing? They're missing life. Whenever I read the story of Ezekiel, I instantly go back to the creation story. I think of how man was formed from the dust of the earth. And there is this lifeless being uh, laying on the ground. It's kind of got a picture. You know, it's, I, I got like a, a, a cinematic view. It's this red, dusty, whatever, and there's this man sitting there, and there's, you know, dust all around, great lighting on him, and, but he's dead, and there's nothing in him because there's no spirit in him. And God breathes into him that ruach, the breath of God, the spirit, and then what happens to that man? He becomes a living being. So God breathes into the man life. And I'll just say this, where the spirit is, there is always life. There's always life. Whatever we lack in the area of spiritual growth, growth always requires us to do this, to invite and entertain more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Give you a, just kind of break this down a little bit more. Let's go to Ezekiel 37, 9 through 12. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, the wind, the air, the spirit. Prophesy, son of man, and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain, that they may live. 
So I prophesied as he commanded, and breathe, he and breathe entered and breath, excuse me, and breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up. Three things here, pay attention. Our bones are dried up. This is what they say, the people of Israel. Our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what God says. God gives them back three things as well. They say three things. God answers back three more. This is what the sovereign Lord says, my people. Number one, I am going to open your graves. Number two, bring you out from them. Number three, I will bring you back to the land of Israel. So three things the Jewish people say while they're exiled in Babylon. Number one, we don't have enough strength within us. Our bones are dried up. Our bones are dried up. The physical toll. Can you imagine the physical toll they would have experienced after two years of being under siege? The, 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 everything coming in and going out was blocked. They're essentially being starved to death. So going through that, then taken captive, taken away from your homeland, hundreds of miles away, ridiculed along the way, deported, you've lost everything, you're busted. You've, can you imagine what your emotional tank would have felt like? Could you imagine what kind of strength you would have after that type of ordeal? And that's what they're saying. We, we don't have the strength to move on. There is nothing in our tank. There's no, it's all out of me. It's all gone. And we've all faced these situations, and some of us may be facing them right now. And you can feel like this. I can't go on. I, I got nothing left in me. But you can. But you can. You say, no, I can't. Yes, you can. See, this is what God says in those situations. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And then also, consider this. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. What's that saying? This is very simply, it's the place where you want to give up, and where you want to get is the place where God wants to really step in and do what only he can do and give you the strength that you need. See, we think of these moments of weakness and when we're just downtrodden, we're just wasted, there's nothing in us, there's nothing in the tank. God, I'm just ready to give up. He's like, I've been waiting for this. I can help you now because you've been trying to do it all yourself. You can't do it. It's not by your strength. It's not by your might. It's by my spirit. And most of us, if you're, ever like, if you're like me, I'm slow of learning sometimes. I have to repeat the course several times before I pass. And I'm coming to this place of understanding and knowing this better and better because I want to do, I want to fix, I want to go on. I don't like things to slow me down. I don't like things to get in the way. Let's just charge on through them. But I'm learning to wait, and I'm learning to be patient, and I'm learning to do this, that the more I can take my hands off of the situation, that God can do what only he can do. That's probably very hard for some of you if you're like me. But I'm finding that it makes me feel like, well, God, what, what am I called to do? Trust me. It's not by might. It's not by power, it's by my spirit. So coming to this place of knowing that I can't, but God can, is exactly where we'll find his strength. So they've lost all strength, and they've lost all hope, number two. We've lost all hope. Our hope is gone. The Jewish people lost all their physical, mental, and emotional. You can just, you can just hear it in their words, just drained right out of them. But really what's worse than all that is, is being physically, or is spiritually drained. And they were spiritually drained. When we come to this place of being spiritually drained, church, that can have eternal repercussions. When we lose all hope, that's where 
our own, our, our own eternal well-being can really come into question. And some of you are struggling spiritually. You aren't where you ought to be. But there's hope. Even if you feel hopeless, there's hope. Whatever lies this world's been telling you, it's not true. This world will do everything and make a lie seem so believable, so acceptable, especially when you get depleted, when you get down and you just feel hopeless. Man, the, the, the world will just usher in a lie that just feels so comforting. And like, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. That helps me right there. And it's just a lie. Satan knows when we're hopeless. And that's when he starts presenting an opportunity for us. And what do we do? We go looking for hope in all the wrong places. In those times of hope, we can be restored to the presence of God. Look at this, Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. One more time. That you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is our helper. He's not our genie, but he's our helper. Can these bones live? Yes, they can. The helper will help us. There's breath, there's life. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is life. God supplied breath. He supplies the Holy Spirit. And I've said this in the earlier series, we are experiencing as much as the Holy Spirit as we desire. A spirit who is, a person who is full of the Spirit is going to be a person who is full of hope. A person who is full of the Holy Spirit is going to be a person who is full of hope. And the Holy Spirit is a person. Remember that. He's not a thing. He's not a, a, a thing that comes from God. He is a person. He's someone we spend time with. He's someone that we pray uh, to. He's someone that we fellowship with. He's someone where we join in when we worship together. There's a community, there's a commonness that takes place. The Holy Spirit provides all that. And you say, well, what, what about Jesus? What about God? Remember, and I don't say this in dis, any disrespect, but our Father is in heaven, and the Son is at the right hand. Who is with you and dwells in you? Who did Jesus send to be with you? The Holy Spirit. So we're not dissing Jesus. We're not dissing the Father. Jesus said, it's better that I go away so the Spirit may come. Remember that. It's so important. You have as much as the Holy Spirit as you want. And when you just really are in a time of hopelessness and despair, church, when you want to give up, and give, that's the time you need to press God. Help me. I surrender. I give up. And that's the time when we can really draw close to God. When we think the furthest from him is the time we can really draw close to him. Number three, we are cut off. We are cut off from our homeland. We are cut off from our promises. In essence, this is what they're saying. We're stuck here. You ever gotten stuck before? It stinks to be stuck, doesn't it? Been stuck somewhere that you didn't want to be? It's like going to a family get-together or a party or something. You're like, uh, get me out of this place. So when we get stuck in those places, they can really just drain our hope as well. When you turn away from God and turn to people, activities, and things of this world, you'll get stuck. Some of you are stuck right now. You're stuck in unforgiveness, stuck in bitterness, Stuck in anger, stuck in frustration, stuck in suffering, stuck in resentment, stuck in religion. You can get stuck in just about anything. So whatever you're stuck in and you can't seem to get out, you feel trapped. That's exactly how the Israelites felt in Babylon. They felt like they were stuck. They're, they're, whether it's your past, your pain, your shame, isolated, you just feel stuck. And it's a horrible place to be. How on the earth are we ever going to get back to where we belong? And I know what it took to get us here. How can we ever get back to where we belong? 
I want to repeat these two verses again. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Again, what am I trying to say? In those times of desperation, when you're stuck, there's a miracle that can take place. God can bring you out. We need the grace of God, the power of God, the presence of God to get unstuck and get back to where we ought to be. At the same time, our desire to be unstuck must be greater than our desire to remain stuck. Some, some of you need to hear that again. I need to hear that again. At the same time, our desire to be unstuck must be greater than our desire to remain stuck. See, the Jewish people felt worn out, hopeless, and stuck in Babylon, and they, they were stuck. They were stuck there for 70 years. And I don't know if you know this, whenever you read Babylon prophetically, it means the world. It's, it's a word that will represent the world. Babylon often refers to the world, and some of you are just stuck in the world. God would have you out of, the, out of the world as his people, his chosen people, but you get stuck in the world sometimes. So you keep turning to the things of this world, and the things of this world will never satisfy you. They'll never bring any contentment to your soul that your soul desires. What does God say to his people who are weary, and they're hopeless, and they're stuck? He says three things to them. Again, verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people. I am going to open your graves and bring you out from them, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. So I'm going to open your graves. I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to restore you. Have you ever been stuck in a rut? It's no fun, is it? Stuck in a rut, I heard this said once before, a rut is nothing more than a grave with the ends kicked out. There's a lot of truth in that, isn't there? God says he will bring us out of the grave. And I just think of what, a, what an open grave looks like. An open grave looks like just a little rut. The, the, the dirt, whatever has been removed, but you're still down in the hole. You just want to elongate that hole. It's a rut. It's simply a rut. The top is removed. I, I'm going to take you out of that. But at the same time, you've got to want to come out of that. God says he will bring you out of the grave, but we must possess that want to. See, there, there are so many things we cling to that we try to find comfort and hope and strength from that it's just keeping us down in that grave, keeping us in, closed in that. The, the top's been popped. The grave is open. You know, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. The door's been opened. You just got to walk in freedom then. The grave is open, but you have to come out of it. God can open it. God can bring us out, but we have, he won't force you to. You get stuck in a place, he won't force you to come out. You have to trust him, though. Many of us aren't where we ought to be because we just don't want to come out from where we are. Whatever desire we have to remain there is holding us there. Whatever you're entertaining, whatever you're consuming, whatever it is, whoever it is, whatever it is, what desire you have for it must change. It must be greater for God and his desire for you to get out of that rut. The grave is open, you can crawl out, but if you choose to remain in it, God will give you, he will oblige your decision. God says to us, I'm going to bring you out, and I'm going to take you back to where you ought to be. I'm going to restore you. So what in your life does God need to restore? The Jews were in Babylon for a reason, but once that purpose was served, it was time to go back home. God restored them after 70 years. The Jews could not fulfill their purpose in Babylon. There's no way. God had called them to be his people. God had called them to bring through the promises of the Messiah. Through Salvation would come through these people. They couldn't do that in Babylon. It's not where God had planned for them to be, but God had a plan and a purpose for them. Remember this. I don't believe it's God's 
God knows things are going to happen, but God has a plan, and God gives us a choice. It's a, it's a funny mechanism that works together, right? There's the sovereign will of God, and then there's the will of man. And sometimes we get so polarized, no, it's one or the other, but it's both. This is a perfect example. I don't think God's desire was them to go Babylon whatsoever. But they made their choices. He goes, okay, plan B. I already knew about it. I knew plan C, D, E, F, G, all the way to Z. So we're going to make this happen. You can get back, but it's going to take some work. And that's exactly what takes place with the Jewish people. God cannot fulfill, he could not fulfill his purpose through them while they're in Babylon. They had to get out of Babylon. They had to get out of the world. And many of you can't fulfill God's plan and purpose where you are because you got part of you stuck in the world and part of you is not. And I'm, this has nothing to do with salvation. This simply has this, that you try to kind of walk the, the tightrope tight between the both of them. You just can't do it. I want to close with this verse. It was Revelation twenty-two seventeen, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And I was going through my notes this morning. I just felt compelled to share this verse. And some of us are just worn out. And we're losing hope. We're losing strength. We're just stuck in a place. But I believe this is the invitation of the Holy Spirit to this church. He's saying, come. He's saying, come. We've been kind of stuck in a, in a religious rut, I'd like to say. And I believe the Spirit of God is calling us to come. If you hear his voice, come. If you're thirsty, come. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.